This message comes from NPR sponsor, Mattress Firm. Do you get the quality sleep you need? Mattress Firm will find you the right bed for your best rest with their wide selection of quality mattresses at every price. Get matched at Mattress Firm's Memorial Day sale. Sleep at night. Hey, everyone. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Brittany Luce. On today's installment of our continuing segment, where we explore internet trends, we're talking about the ever-growing digital currency of dating app content. Now, I've been online a long time, and as an OG Black Twitter member, I am no stranger to the $200 date conversations. But this is different. A couple weeks ago, a text exchange between two people who seemingly had some interest in each other went viral. The inciting incident? An ice cream date. A 26-year-old woman turned out a date with a man because he asked her on an ice cream date, which she says is the absolute bare minimum. In my opinion, guys who do ice cream dates and or coffee dates are usually not really sure how they actually feel about you. 26-year-old Mel, if I transported myself back there, I could, I'm, I wouldn't be that. That's harsh and rude and all kinds of terrible. I, I, I would never do that, but I'd be thinking it. She seems like maybe you shouldn't date her. She seems like not a fun time. The ire this screenshot inspired launched TikToks, tweets, and subtweets about what constitutes a real first date, who is or isn't a pick-me, and who does or does not have high expectations. Suffice it to say, it went nuclear. What did you think when you saw that text exchange? You know, reading it back now, I'm struck by the fact that she said it would be a waste of time because you'd still be getting ice cream. <laughs> How's that a waste? Right. This is Miles Klee, a Rolling Stone culture reporter who picked up on this new dating screenshot trend. It's one thing if you have that exchange in your own private life, but to kind of lay out this prescriptive ideal for everyone else that it's not enough that you don't go on ice cream dates. It's kind of suggesting that nobody should be going on ice cream dates ever under any circumstances. In the back of my mind, it's like a little bit of internet brain got me where I'm like, I would accept an ice cream date. Does this mean I'm a low-value woman? Am I selling myself You're lowering your standards. The ice cream date fiasco is not an isolated incident. It's become a pretty normal thing for people to submit their mundane private exchanges into the court of public opinion. And while I'm loving the mess, I couldn't help but wonder, how healthy can this be for the dating pool? Today, we're going to explore what happens when dating becomes content. Miles, welcome to It's Been a Minute. Thank you for having me. My pleasure, my pleasure. I'm really excited to talk about what we're going to talk about today because this stuff is on my mind every day. The ice cream date is not the only instance of a time when a dating screenshot went viral. There have been so many, but is there any one specific instance that you find particularly notable? One of these viral screenshots was a young woman who listed all the places she's traveled around the world, very well-traveled woman, yes. and asked the guy, you know, where have you been? He had fewer places. He said, wow, you're, you're really well-traveled. I'd love to see more places. And she posted that screenshot and said it was the middest answer he could have given, which yes. is so odd because are you looking for someone who has had the same exact experience as you just kind of like globetrotting person? I mean, that's that's part of dating is introducing someone to new stuff. If someone can come to you and say like, wow, I'm, I'm really liking everything I see here. 
<laughs> you're just going to go off on them and try to get clout from all your internet buddies instead of, you know, going on a date with this person who's very obviously interested in you. That speaks to right. a sort of immaturity and a sort of disinterest in actual romance because if you can't kind of take the compliment, that's maybe the lowest baseline for getting out there. It's like, if you're not going to accept something nice, wow, I don't think you're ready for love. In some instances, it's like, I can understand why somebody might share a screenshot because, whoa, this terrible thing happened to me. <laughs> like, look out for this person. They're really mean. But on the other hand, though, like there are lots of innocuous conversations that get shared online all of the time. And I don't know, it kind of feels like, like part of what's motivating posting screenshots is that people want to make it clear that they're like a part of the dating pool. But the thing is, though, is like there used to be other ways of doing that other than posting screenshots. You know, when I was dating 8, 10, 12 years ago, we would post thirst traps or we would post cryptic photos from like a cool activity or from like a vacation, you know, that you wanted to seem like, oh, is this romantic? Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> like, are there two glasses of champagne on this table? Maybe, maybe not. There are things that we would do for attention. <laughs> That weren't this. A little sense of mystery, please. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, what happened? I don't know. You know, there are toxic people on the app, but there is this feeling of needing to be perceived as like persecuted and victimized by being on the apps in the first place. So, and, you know, the flip side of that, as you kind of alluded to, is that you're also showing off that you've got matches. Something I was thinking about, too, is like, I feel like I can barely open up any social media app without hitting some sort of like newfangled like dating guru. Sometimes I feel like this kind of content is a way for people to like launch into their brand identity oh, yeah. as like a dating coach or a dating guru by sort of breaking these things down. You know, I think we are also in like a heyday of sort of like gender grifters as well. I mean, there's people who are want to tell you how to be a man, want to tell you how to be a woman, everything in between. Yes. And a lot of that will come with really, really bad toxic dating advice including the kind of really harsh prescriptive things we're talking about. I think that is how people get some of these very strange ideas about like what constitutes a deal breaker for someone they're talking to in these apps. Everything now has to be a red flag or a green flag or a beige flag, which I don't, think, I don't think I even know what that means. I know. I was like, I've been seeing beige flag TikToks. I'm like, I know what a red flag is. Yeah. Not good. I know what a green flag is. Good. What does that mean? What's going on? I'm guessing it's just something where you don't know if it's good or bad. <laughs> and yes. that just seems like, you know, like, oh, oh, so we're finally acknowledging that, like, people can be, like, ambiguous and complicated. And, like, somehow the flag <laughs> system has finally gotten around to that. Like adjusting, adjusting for, like, humanity. The flag yeah, system I... is evolving. But, I mean, even, like, zooming out, like, Dating apps have been around for a minute. Like, screenshots have been around for a minute. What's happening in the culture that's making it so we're seeing this, like, stream of dating screenshots, like, in this moment, like, so recently? I think the competition for attention is getting a little bit more severe. We have this fracturing of social media platforms. I think there are people who are trying to figure out how to post on three to five to seven different platforms every day. And you run out of content, right? Like hmm. what we're seeing here is people harvesting this stuff for content. They need it to fill up their timelines. They need the engagement. They need the dopamine hit of oh, your friend liking that you were kind of mean about this other person who tried to connect with you on a dating app. 
And it's funny that, you know, just one of these kind of ill-advised posts can set off an entire day of nothing but references to this one thing because people can't believe that you would be so petty and just kind of like rancid in your personal interactions with someone you don't even know. You know, one of the things we've been thinking about in reading these screenshots is like people are definitely looking to find someone that they're aligned with, but more so someone that they share preferences with. I met my husband online and, and we were an 88% match on OkCupid. I went through this phase where I was like, I only want to go out with people who are I'm a 90% match or more because I was just meeting people that I was like, what? the hell is this? Like, please get me out of here. It was almost like we were so much alike. I was disgusted. <laughs> I was like, you're too much like not working. Even the way that these apps kind of determine what a true match is can be complicated. It's, you know, normally based on like, do you share interests? Do you share preferences? Uh, occupation? Like, do those feel related? Or like, you might be able to understand each other. But we know that that's not always how things pan out in the real world. Yeah, I think the preferences thing is real because when you're on a dating app, you could ultimately be basing your decisions off of, do they like all the same movies as me? Like, why would you deny yourself sort of the opportunity to combine experience and knowledge and favorite things? You're not supposed to just be like a one-to-one -one match in that way. To kind of take that idea further, you know, some philosophers think that, that as society has gotten more narcissistic, we're more interested in ourselves and our experiences and our projections of ourselves on other people, which in that context, it's it's even harder to date or see other people as three-dimensional individuals rather than opportunities f for you to reflect on yourself. What do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, the phone, let's be honest, it's, it's the black mirror, like you're looking in it and the phone is actually, what you see on there is a, really a re reflection of yourself. It's your tastes, it's what you're following, what you're looking at. When you're on the dating app, I think there is a really nasty trap you can fall into, which is just thinking the person on the other end basically isn't real because this is your phone. It's your app. It's everything that you're seeing is a reflection of you. Right. And so that's why I think people also get annoyed if there's someone they don't like on the app, maybe they make a corny joke or there's just a pickup line. They don't like, it feels like an attack on them because, Hey, this is my phone. I'm supposed to be getting everything I want out of my phone. And you are giving me like a less than satisfactory answer. It becomes sort of, a, <laughs> these people are sort of invading your sacred phone space with their frustrating flirtations. But I wonder though, like, I don't know, like some part of dating, I feel like has always though been about wanting to see a positive reflection of yourself in another person. Like, I mean, even think about like, you know, the trophy right. wife who can affirm your sexiness or virility as a man or the high value man, you know what I'm saying? Like the tall, rich guy with a fast car and a six pack who by standing at your side affirms your worth. Like those are also two sort of dating tropes or ideas about dating that, existed long before the smartphone oasis. Yeah, and we've always wanted the other person to be able to read our mind, right? I think the <laughs> apps, you know, they didn't invent the dynamic, as you're, as you're pointing out, but they might accelerate it, and they make it a much more mechanical procedure. You are talking about setting a radius of five miles or whatever it is, and automatically cycling through every available person in this region 
you're doing a much deeper kind of like granular data dive so that you can match up all those characteristics you're talking about. You know, if you are looking for a tall, rich guy with abs, then you can systematically eliminate <laughs> everyone who's not that. Hmm. I mean, gosh, sorry, just thinking about that. You can systematically eliminate everybody who's not that, but it seems like it might be a very limiting way to <laughs> go about dating. A lot of these people, you point out that they're hoping to win at something. What is the competition that these people are trying to win? If the result is not companionship, <laughs> what are they trying to win? Yeah, I think there is an insecurity sometimes that comes with being single. When you're out there mixing it up with other single people, there might be the compulsion to prove that you're just a temporarily kind of randomly single person and it doesn't reflect anything bad about you. But all the other single people, there's something wrong with them. Hmm. It's a bit of there not being any poor Americans. There's just temporarily embarrassed millionaires. You know, mm. you know, I, I actually would be rich. I actually would be uh, in a relationship. But all of you are too stupid and annoying. Right, right. That's really the problem. <laughs> there's nothing for me to work You're with. You're giving nothing. Right. <laughs> and I'm a catch, but why should I settle for you? My gosh. Anybody out there that's dealing with all this strange dating discourse and who's really in it right now, you have my support. Miles, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was so great to have you. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks. That was Rolling Stone culture reporter Miles Klee. His article is titled, How Cringe Screenshots Killed Dating Apps. You know, all this talk about dating makes me think we're missing a certain columnist who could set us all straight. Carrie Bradshaw. Sex in the City was the dating Bible in the 90s and early 2000s. And now we have the sequel series, and just like that. But it's missing that same charm. Coming up, Vox senior correspondent Alex Abad Santos joins us to talk about all things and just like that. Taylor Swift has dropped a new album. She is the biggest pop star in the world, and everything she does makes news. I gasped. I was like, oh my God, I've been there, and you can identify with it. For a breakdown of Taylor Swift and her new album, The Tortured Poets Department, listen to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR. Jasmine Morris here from the StoryCorps podcast. Our latest season is called My Way. Stories of people who found a rhythm all their own and marched to it throughout their lives. Consequences and other people's opinions be damned. You won't believe the courage and audacity in these stories. Hear them on the StoryCorps podcast from NPR. On Wildcard, the new podcast from NPR, you'll hear people like comedian Jenny Slate reflect on their lives. What is something you think about very differently today than you did 10 years ago? Dressing. Like, not salad dressing. I've always loved it and I'll never stop. <laughs> dressing my body. That's all part of the new game show, Wildcard, only from NPR. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to Embedded for moments that stay with you. I could smell the smoke. I could smell the dust. Voices that resonate. <laughs> Stories that change the way you think about your life. How, how did we get here? The Embedded Podcast is NPR's home for original documentary series. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. A warning to listeners, this segment contains vulgar language and frank mentions of sex and sexuality. 
this is a galaxy brain theory, but I think the whole idea of like brunch, going to brunch and being silly with your friends, talking about the filthiest mm-hmm. things possible, that is Sex of the City. That is the impact of the show. 100% agree. We're discussing one of the most culturally important shows to ever air on television. HBO's Sex and the City. It was a groundbreaking series that showed what an aspirational life could look like for women in their 30s and 40s, whether they married and had kids or not. Vox senior correspondent Alex Abad Santos remembers how the characters became cultural shorthands. There was a time when people were like, oh, I'm a Miranda, or I'm a Charlotte, or I'm a Samantha, and I'm a Carrie. And what would happen is, like, it gave people, men and women, though specifically I would say women and gay men, it gave us a way to talk about the qualities we love about ourselves and the qualities we hate about ourselves and, like, in a way that was really kind of beautiful. And, of course, Sex and the City wasn't the end of their story because now we have the sequel series called And Just Like That. If you go to a normal person who's never seen this show and you say, like, okay, and you explain, like, the latest plotline that is happening, it's like you're speaking in tongues. Like, it's like you're creating (laughs) sentences and the words, like, in that combination make no sense whatsoever. But let me tell you, I am transfixed by its nonsense. We're now partway through season two, and I never, ever miss an episode. And ultimately, Alex says it still has poignant things to say about life for women in their 50s. Alex, welcome back to It's Been a Minute. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be back. Just to start off, first question, what do you think of this season of And Just Like That so far? I think that this season of And Just Like That is one, extremely good to extremely wild like (laughs) and it's just like think it's good is it gonna win a peabody award is it gonna win all the no but it's fun it's a little like junk food right like it's like you know junk food Mm -hmm. isn't good it's not gonna win like michelin stars but you're just like sometimes you just (laughs) want like a big mac or sometimes you just want chicken nuggets and they taste good yeah they taste good what's a moment from this season where you screamed the most at the tv Gosh, how do I even explain this? So Anthony, who is a kind Mm -hmm. of side character, is running this business where he is basically having hot men deliver bread, right? Right. And so the conflict happens when it's revealed that all of the people that Anthony has hired are on HGH and steroids. Uh, That better be insulin. It's HGH. My calves are underperforming. I mean, look at these guys. And Anthony wants to run a clean company. Anyway, through Charlotte, they find this random Italian-American man who is, like, writing love poems. Buongiorno. Would you like a love poem? Oh, is that a real Italian accent? <laughs> yes. Why would it not be real? Oh, I... And he's just like, he's so hot. And they're, and Charlotte's like, hire him, hire him, hire him. And then they hire him. And then so he has an appearance on the Drew Barrymore show. What happens in the Drew Barrymore show is that this man's junk in the little Anthony outfit that he gives him is too distracting. That even Drew Barrymore is talking about the baguette, but it's not the baguettes that Anthony is making. Or I guess like, <laughs> or I guess it's ciabatta if you're Italian. Giuseppe! Oh my God, that is a big basket. It has all my bread selections. Big basket. Big basket. Anyway, how do we get from A to B? I don't know. 
And you're like, yes, I would like more of this. I don't know if it's good for me, but I, I need to see more. I need to see where it goes. As we're kind of like toggling between thinking about how and just like that and Sex in the City diverge and also how they kind of like align with each other. Uh-huh. How is the thesis of and just like that different from Sex in the City? I wrote something for Vox that was like, basically, what makes it so different is that Sex in the City was, these women are fabulous, look at their fabulous lives. And like, they're trying to achieve this like, amazing, glamorous escapism type of life, right? And, mm-hmm. and just like that, it's just constant humiliation. <laughs> <laughs> and just like that, it knocks them down many pegs i mean your husband dying on a peloton right (sighs) carrie has a hip replacement and then carrie has to watch her friend have sex basically like in some kind of weird like mind locked like state while she has to (laughs) pee with her coworker, with her coworker, with (laughs) while she has to pee in a bottle and it's just like okay well i thought the humiliations were over in your 20s or your 30s but actually they keep going and it's just like maybe life is just full of humiliation <laughs> and learning to laugh at yourself well also too you know now that you mentioned it like dating dating and trying to find a partner mm-hmm. were like the source of the humiliation in sex in the city right. like okay like we all have to deal with humiliation but it's to get the guy in the end. Right. And so in the end, when you get the guy, then bing, bam, boom. It's kind of like going through puberty or something right, like right, that. Right, like, right, 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 right. Once you sort of achieve, you know, the the final stage, you like you finally like left the indignity of dating behind. You don't have to deal with the humiliation of everyday life. But with and just like that, you can still get period on your white jeans. As <laughs> with Charlotte in the first season, there are all sorts of humiliations that have nothing to do with dating. But it's also, I mean, there's also the aspect of just like life goes on. Okay, so at the end of the first Sex in the City movie, mm-hmm. because we do not talk about the second, the second one is not canon for me. <laughs> we we deleted the second one from our memory. Right, it was pretty horrible, and there were some like weirdly like racist things about. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Very weirdly racist things yeah. happening throughout. But at the end of the first Sex in the City movie, all the characters kind of get their fairy tale endings. You know, they end up with who they're supposed to end up with or reunite with who they're supposed to reunite with. Or in the case of Samantha, she chooses herself. And a lot of people were mad that at the start of And Just Like That, some of these endings, like these happy endings from the film, got blown up. Mm -hmm. But I wonder, like, could there be something important about negating Sex in the City's like sort of like tied up in a bow happy ending? I mean, yes. So I think that when you think about Sex in the City, one of the big things in Sex in the City is that season after season, we get this kind of message that these women are each other's soulmates. And this friendship that they have is so much more powerful than any romantic relationship that they have, right? It's just like this beautiful story of friendship. But it's just like, Charlotte has a bad marriage. Miranda like breaks up with Steve and all this stuff that mm. happens. And like, it's like you go through a cancer scare and it's like the only people that will understand and Carrie, Miranda, Samantha, and Charlotte are each other. And so I think when you have the end of Sex and City and they're all happy with men, you're just like, what? (laughs) You're like, there's even lines that are like, what if we were each other's soulmates? Maybe we could be each other's soulmates. And then we could let men be just these great, nice guys to have fun with. 
that's revolutionary, right? Like, you can't even look back at, like, Little Women, right? Like, Little Women mm. is kind of Sex and the City. It's like, you have these four sisters, and it's this whole story about, like, how much they love each other and this bond that can't be broken. And then at the end, you're like, well, why are they all married to guys? Except for Beth, who probably got off the easiest because she doesn't have to marry, like, a disappointing man. But... Because she dies. Right. <laughs> you're like, WTF, if we have this whole story about how important it is to be bonded with women why did they have to be all married at the end so i think part of me is like yeah blow it up blow it up and let's see where it goes they blew it up i don't know if every direction that they went in is my favorite (laughs) but (laughs) (laughs) no that's a really good point first of all i had never even thought about little women and sex in the city i feel like a lot of people go back to like mary tyler moore or golden girls but like little women throw back yeah well it's like it's very strange that you have a show that basically is about female friendship and then at the end of the show i don't believe that they've been talking every week i don't believe that they're going to the diner every week i don't believe that they're Mm. having any more adventures together and that's kind of sad i think about how the structure of and just like that has changed fundamentally from sex in the city like it's very different since kim cattrall who played samantha left because we don't have that same four character mix that was so iconic and played so well together. We also don't have the voiceovers. Carrie's not your narrator anymore. Right. We no longer have Carrie guiding us through the show. And before, we would only get a scene if it included one of the four main characters. Now, right. it with and just like that, you know, with Samantha no longer being a character on the show, we're spending time with characters who are not the main characters, which is kind of interesting. But Sex in the City, you would never have a scene with like just big or or just Aiden doing something. <laughs> but this season, there's like a few scenes that follow Che, who yeah. is Miranda's love interest, and they are one of the most annoying characters to, like ever to be on the Sex and the City galaxy. The show feels a little bit like it's lost some focus to me in that we're following some people like wh- where I'm just like, are you even going to be here next season? Like, You know what I mean? Right. But I also think this happens with a lot of TV shows and that especially comedy is that they tend to show their their age kind of fast. And so I think hmm. like what happened is like you have Sex in the City and it was revolutionary at the time. And then like as the years go on, it's like society catches up, right? And it's hmm. no longer as progressive. Mm-hmm. One of the things that happened with TV is that now you're just like, well, how are you painting a New York City with only these four women who hmm. are only friends with each other and only predominantly friends with white people? <laughs> who are like rich white people right you have this overcorrection these writers want to do good like and i think good is representing a new york that looks like new york city Mm. i think figuring out how to do that in a graceful way is a little bit more difficult yeah and i think to their credit though in the new season i think there's they're trying to have more organic stories where it isn't charlotte lecturing to people of color about like their art i still don't know if it's the best i agree i still don't know if it's like nailing if it's hitting the triple axle but i think it's more organic and it feels a little better than what happened in the first season i see so much hand-wringing on social media and reviews over whether or not, and just like that, is good. But does it matter if the show is good? <laughs> does it matter? Like, does it really I mean, matter? I mean, to the people who love this show, it does not matter if it's good or bad, right? Is this show entertaining? Yes. Can I talk about this show with my friends and have the most maniacal conversations? Absolutely. Am I doing the same with other TV shows? I mean, I love The Bear. I love Hmm. The Bear, but am I talking, like, in-depth about, like, what is happening on every single episode of The Bear with people, other than, like, The Bear is actually excellent television? No! 
It's also funny because you're just like, this show is just basically fan service at this point. They brought back Carrie's Vivian Westwood wedding dress. Or they used the same set or the same kind of apartment from Miranda Priestley's apartment from Devil Wears Prada for Enid's apartment, who also works at Vogue. There's mm. definitely a kind of like Avengers Marvel slash fandom type thing happening. <laughs> like it's like, okay, it just looks different. It's like this is the Avengers of like <laughs> rich white women, sex in the city people. And it's just like funny how like much it ties back to the original. Alex, thank you so much. I am so glad we got to unpack this because I have been living, loving, laughing, and enjoying the show. <laughs> But sometimes I have been so perplexed. In a strange way. <laughs> In the strangest way. All right. Uh, do, you, do you have time to stick around for a game? Let's play the game. I'm here. I'm here for the game. Coming up, which Sex in the City character is a shower beer? Stay with us. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts, only from NPR. On NPR's Throughline, we cannot function for 24 hours without COBOL because it's in our smartphone, our tablet, our laptop. And as a consequence, the lives of the people living in that part of the Congo descended into just a catastrophe. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. On the Code Switch podcast, conversations about race don't start and stop with the news cycle. We know that race is always relevant, and we have new topics, new voices, and new stories for you every single week. Listen to the Code Switch podcast from NPR. There are a lot of issues on voters' minds right now. Six big ones could help decide the election. Guns, reproductive rights, immigration, the economy, health care, and the wars overseas. On the Consider This podcast from NPR, we will unpack the debates on these issues and what's at stake. You can listen to NPR's Consider This wherever you get your podcasts. Alex. Yep. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm ready for my game. You're ready for your game. Well, let me start by asking you a question. Which Sex in the City character are you and why? Oh, oof. I'm a Miranda. I'm definitely Miranda. <sighs> I am judgmental. I'm very critical. I am very sarcastic. I'm not a comforter when it comes to my friends. Like, don't like ask me to help you over a breakup. <laughs> But I will help you fix it. I will help you get your life on track. That is me. I am a Miranda. I am also Miranda. I would say the original show version. And just like that, I feel like she's a little more chaotic. But who knows? Maybe in my 50s, I'll get there. And also, like, she's very intense. And she married an easygoing person. Mm -hmm. And so did I. (laughs) So I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, I have not married an easygoing person yet. But hopefully I find my Steve. Hopefully I find a Steve instead of a Che. But... Yes, I'm, like praying for you. <laughs> I'm praying for you. Okay, so we are going to play a game based on this question, but I'm going to give you various summer activities or things, and you have to tell me whether the vibe of that thing 
is like Carrie, who's romantic, neurotic, and not very self-reflective. And just like that. Samantha, a classic man-eater, girl boss, who's very self-assured. Oh, honey, you made a little joke. Good for you. Miranda, who's cynical and a bit judgmental, as you said. You see, this is why I don't date. The men out there are freaks. Or Charlotte, a perfectionist, but secret freak. I curse the day you were born. Okay, perfect. Or Che Diaz. Okay, (laughs) yes, absolutely. Who's immature and annoying. Hey, it's Che Diaz. Okay, okay. So the first thing is a shower beer, a beer you drink in the shower. That's Che Diaz. Really? Yes. Che Diaz. On our team, we were like, that's so Miranda. Why is that Che Diaz? Please tell me. Che Diaz is cool or quote unquote cool. Sure. And nothing is cooler, quote unquote cool, than like a shower beer. Like Che Diaz would be like, hey, dudes, I'm having a beer in the shower because we're party people. There is a whole scene Mm -hmm. of Che Diaz in their Hudson Yards apartment. Parting it up with various kind of cool kids. Like so late, like playing video games and smoking weed until like 3.30 in the morning, yeah. like beyond 3.30 in the morning, too much. That yeah, is yes. a person who has a shower beer. <laughs> <laughs> wait, why? Wait, you said, who did you say? It was a, Miranda. It was Miranda. You know, Miranda is like a multitasker. And so I feel like Miranda is like, I'm going to pregame while I, while I get ready. Okay. And I'm going to drink in the shower. She's like not too prissy. Uh-huh. For a shower, like Carrie, Charlotte wouldn't. I think Samantha would, but wouldn't make a like Samantha wouldn't a pinch. Samantha is champagne in the shower. Oh, I that is absolutely right? true. Samantha is champagne in the shower. Wow, starting off on a very controversial foot. Che Diaz is a shower beer. Shower beer is Che Diaz. <laughs> hey, it's Che Diaz. All right. Next activity: girl dinner. Who has that vibe? And for those who don't know, Girl Dinner is making the rounds on TikTok. It's essentially a group of snacks eaten as dinner for one. I think that is definitely Carrie. Carrie has a girl dinner. Agree. 150%. She doesn't cook. She doesn't cook. Also, she is very, she's talked about in secret single behavior. Carrie says that one of the things she loves to do is is have saltines. I put grape jelly on them. I eat them standing up in the kitchen reading fashion magazines. Why standing up? Oh, it's weird, but it just feels great. I like Yes! That is a girl dinner. That is a girl dinner. I feel like Charlotte would probably be reading about girl dinner, though, and be like, okay, maybe I'll try it. But then Charlotte would like have like <laughs> the most pristine version of girl dinner ever. <laughs> she like makes a charcuterie board that's good enough to sell. Right. That's Charlotte's girl dinner. Yeah. Miranda would be like, absolutely not. I need to eat. And then Samantha would be like, girl dinner. <laughs> I need a woman dinner. Like, she's, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. Sorry, that was the that was the worst Samantha impersonation. I'm so sorry. So, okay. So, wow. Girl dinner is Carrie. Yes. I, girl dinner is a Carrie. I 100% agree. And just like that. The next thing, hot strike summer. There's a lot of strikes going on right now. Hot strike summer. Who embodies that? This one's tough because like, it would affect Carrie the most, right? Because she's, like, in the industry of, like, writing. Mm. But I also mm-hmm. feel like Miranda would probably be the... Is probably the most progressive. And, yeah, I'm saying Miranda. I don't I don't fully understand why I'm saying Miranda. But I feel like Miranda's idealistic. She loves a good cause. She is a good person. I'm saying Miranda. 
I could see that. Miranda is like a lawyer. And I feel like, you know, now that she's like kind of done with her sort of like corporate law career, uh-huh. like she would want to do like pro bono work for Hot Strike Summer. Right. You know what I mean? Like she would be like hitting the streets. You see, this is why I don't date. The men out there are freaks. The next thing, pickleball. Who is pickleball? Oh. Carrie, Miranda, Charlotte, Samantha, or Che? Well, Charlotte plays tennis. So sh- mm-hmm. I would say Charlotte would probably be into pickleball the most. Agree. I could also see Charlotte taking like the opposite side. Like there is a very long history of Charlotte loving tennis. So I can see her being yes. like, I tried pickleball, but actually tennis is the more beautiful sport. You know, the whole like dilemma of the pickleball is that they're using tennis courts. She would probably yes. start like a petition at Rock and Lily's school to <laughs> keep the tennis courts <laughs> because she loves tradition. <laughs> Oh my god, I'm writing fan fiction about Sex in the City. I am doing fan fiction on air about Sex in the City. Look at my weird brain. <laughs> Pickleball is Charlotte. I would 100% agree. I think that that's absolutely accurate. Begrudgingly, Charlotte is Pickleball. Begrudgingly. I curse the day you were born. Wow. Well, there you go. There you have it. There we have it. Wow. Look at There we have it. And just like that. <laughs> and just like that. <laughs> just like that. Oh, well, Alex, thank you so much for playing this game. And thank you so much for coming on the show to talk about And Just Like That. Thanks for letting me talk to someone else about my addiction to And Just Like That. Because like, if you talk to a normal person, again, you seem a little unhinged if you start saying the, what is ever happening on this show. I'm glad I got to speak to <laughs> someone who is watching the show with me. <laughs> We're all in this together. Yes. We're all in this together. <laughs> Thanks again to Vox Senior Correspondent Alex Abad Santos. Hey, Brittany. Hey, Brittany. Hey, Brittany. Hey, Brittany. This is Jeremy from San Francisco. There's something I want to talk about. Aliens. First off, there's this whole, you know, government hearing about it. Do they exist? Is it still speculation? And then on the other side of it, I had to scroll through the New York Times app for like 20 seconds before I could find a headline. Why aren't we all freaking out together? Why aren't we in the desert, like, holding hands and praying to the sky? I don't know. Why is no one else talking about this? The response has been so muted. Hi, Jeremy. You know, your question is on a lot of people's minds. This past week, there was a congressional hearing on the possible existence and United States government possession of UFOs. Testifying was this retired major named David Grush, who said that he knows the exact location of recovered UFOs and also, as he put it, non-human biologics, which for those of you who are driving and cannot Google right now, means basically alien bodies or something thereabouts. But on Wednesday, the Defense Department issued a statement saying that the Pentagon's inquiries had not turned up any verifiable information to substantiate claims. At the end of the day, the aliens could be here. They might not be here. I am not the person who has that information. I don't have that kind of clearance. I don't know. I can't tell you. What I will say is... 
is that even the possibility that there are aliens among us, that the government has some knowledge of it, it's not stopping my bills. It's not stopping these deadlines I have for my job. It's not stopping my landlord from expecting my rent. It's not stopping anything. People are just tired. They have too many other things to worry about. Remember in the 90s, in Independence Day, when there were people gathered in every major city, they're gathered in front of the White House, they're gathered in, on top of buildings in LA, they're gathered in New York City, they had posters hoping the aliens, like, hey, like, what's up? Like, we're trying to make peaceful contact or whatever. You know, we all thought that when the aliens came, it was going to be this world-stopping event, okay? We thought that if there was going to be any sort of hint from anybody had been in a government office, that there were aliens among us, that it was just going to be like, oh, world stop. Now, at this point, I feel like post 2020, with the past three to four years that we all have had, no, we all have to keep carrying on. We all have all these things that we have to do. If the aliens are here, they need to be like threatening us in some meaningful way, or they need to be making our conditions materially better for us to pay attention. And to all of you listening, I want to know what you want to talk about too. Anything from the biggest pop culture story of the week to the newest bangers to the TV show everyone is talking about. If there's something everyone in your world is going on about, record a quick voice memo with your first name, location, and the topic and send it to ibam at npr.org. That's I-B-A-M at npr.org. I cannot wait to hear what you want to talk about. This episode of It's Been a Minute was produced by Barton Girdwood, Alexis Williams, Liam McBain, Corey Antonio Rose. Our editor is Jessica Placzek. Engineering support came from Stu Rushfield. Our executive producer is Verilyn Williams. Our VP of programming is Yolanda Sanguini. Our senior VP of programming is Anya Grundman. All right. That's all for this episode of It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Brittany Luce. Talk soon. Moms know the ups and downs of life. It's what makes them great subjects for books. This is one of the things that fiction can do, right? It can give us a window into the battles that each person is waging or facing, but it doesn't mean that we condone her actions. This week on NPR's Book of the Day podcast, we are discussing books centering mothers. So call your mom, then tune into the Book of the Day podcast from NPR. On the TED Radio Hour... In the middle school cafeteria, Tai Tashiro always sat with his equally nerdy buddies. The socially awkward kids who were the furthest thing from cool. And he often wondered, Why am I so socially awkward and what am I going to do about that? Now Tai is a psychologist and expert on awkwardness, and he has some answers. That's on the TED Radio Hour from NPR. Here at Planet Money, we bring complex economic ideas down to earth. We find weird, fun, interesting stories that explain the way money shapes our lives. Inflation, recessions, the price of gas. We've got you. Listen now to the Planet Money podcast from NPR.